My name is Pastor Matt Harmless, and this is the sermon audio for January the 24th, 2021. It comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Let's get started. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by reading. I'm going to read uh, the passage of Scripture for today, and then I'm going to pray. And so let's see if my clicker's working. There we go. So let me read this passage of Scripture. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch, and I have to say this next word, Abilene, I don't know how to pronounce that. In my mind, I always hear my father saying it because I think that he used to when I was young. He had every once in a while, I'd just break out in song and say, Abilene. Is that an old country song? Yeah. In my head, I can't get past that. Um, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. I'm going to read that last phrase again. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's important. Hold on to that. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the word of God came to John, and we have a record of that summary of what that was for John the Baptist. God, I ask that today that word be uh, clearly taught and demonstrated. God, I ask that you would guide my words this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I'm thinking about starting off my sermons from this point forward. Each week, and people come in the way that John starts his off. <laughs> How would that be? Would you guys enjoy that? Like, you come into the church, and man, it's been a hard week, and you sit down, and you're looking for some comfort, and I just walk up here and I go, look around, scan the audience, see who's here. Hmm. And then I just go, you brood of vipers. <laughs> 
Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Imagine the crowd that came to see John, and that's what he was doing, and they were still coming. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Let's really think about this guy. I mean, he's... he's now, understand that what Luke is doing in his gospel, he's not telling us everything that John ever preached. That would be impossible. So what he's shared with us is kind of a summary to, to hit on what was this guy about. In fact, it's very interesting because Luke has very much so tried to, he's gone back and forth between John and then back to Jesus. And then back to John, if you think about what we've been through with Luke, okay, there's the this angelic visit beforehand, angelic visit beforehand for Jesus. Then then uh, the birth, the birth, and the, he's going back and forth. And one of the points that Luke is making is that Jesus is greater than John. In fact, one of the points that he's trying to make this, and the reason why he's trying to make this point is because there are records to show, and in fact, we have this in some of the gospel messages, in fact, even into the book of Acts, where there were people who had come to hear John and follow John, and even long after his death were still thinking of themselves as, this isn't a real word, but the Johnites, right? They were followers of John. They were the disciples of John. And so one of the things that Luke is trying to get you to see, because John wanted people to see that Jesus is greater. John wanted everybody to see, it's not me, it's him. Right? Not me, him. I love that about John because I feel the same way in some sense when I'm preaching. You always want it to be, it's not me, it's him. It's Christ. And that's one of the main goals that Luke is trying, I believe, to get across. So now, one of the things that I want to do today, this I'm just going to deal with these first, verse, first 14 verses that I read. His story goes all the way into verse 22. Next time I preach, I'll be talking about the rest of that, this part of John's little connection here. This is really his last little mention, the tail end of his ministry. So it goes to the beginning to the end of his ministry. I want to talk about how Luke has shown us who this John is. I'm going to do this two ways. One, I'm going to talk about the context. What was John's situation like? And then I'm going to talk about the content of his message, because that's what Luke does. He says, this is the situation, and then he goes into, that's what this, these first few verses were about. And he goes into, this is what um, John was preaching. And he does it in three ways, the preaching. He said, first, he says, this is what he's preaching uh, the, in connection with prophecy, how he fulfilled prophecy. So I'm going to talk about the content of John's message prophetically connected to those prophecies. And I'm going to talk about what literally he said that Luke records for us, and then the practical implications of those is exactly where Luke goes next when he's talking about John. So let's start with the context of John's ministry, okay? The context. Uh, put a map up here. You heard some places mentioned his main ministry was right in this area, but you heard Judea mentioned. Um, we had, uh, this is the, Herod uh, was ruling this area. Philip was up here, but um, it's up off this where this Abilene was that uh, is mentioned here, but let's take a look at that text again. Okay, now each one of these people that's mentioned here is terrible in their own right. Okay, I'm gonna hit the, the first one, the, the the big dog there, Tiberius Caesar. I, I don't think that picture, that bust of him does justice. Let's take a look. Ooh, yeah. Hey. Okay, we're not supposed to judge people by their looks, people. But he just looks like a sniffling little <laughs> skeezy fellow. You know, there were rumors going around about him. There was this time that he took uh, he took uh, the throne after Caesar Augustus. 
But there was a time where he didn't want to do that, and he had had this, basically, he had retired very early and took this vacation spot before he was emperor, and there were all kinds of rumors, rumors of um, all kinds of terrible things that were going on there. Pedophilia, molestation, horrible, horrible things. That was their leader. Um, that was their emperor. That's the guy that took, there's one more. I like that one of his coin. This is one of what his coins look like. He just, something about his, it looks like he's going, nah. doesn't it? He just, nah, just a little. Now, I, I mentioned this. I, I try not to let too much of what's going on in the world seep into how I interpret the passage. But I do mention this specifically to say, frankly, it, what they were going through with political leadership, with... It's things don't change. Not really. Things don't change, not really. And I think it's important that Luke gives us this context because he's saying to the readers that are getting this, this John the Baptist guy, when he came in, this is what the world was like. And the people that were around were to go, oh, I remember him. I remember that. I remember Pontius Pilate. I remember this guy. I remember that guy. They would have remembered those things and remembered that time. And so I think that there's a, an important connection. We can start connecting ourselves to their story through thinking about John's context. Um, notice that it even mentions in this not just the political leaders, but also the religious leaders of the time. Do you see that the high priest is mentioned, Annas and Caiaphas? The context of John's introduction is a corrupt societal structure from top to bottom. Which I think it's going to be interesting then how he preaches. Does he preach and say Tiberius needs to repent? Does he preach and say Pontius Pilate needs to repent? Does he preach and say, I guess you guys don't have to do the right thing because of these people that are in place? Does he say that? No, he does not. John doesn't even mention them that we know of. Now, let's get into the content of John's message. Okay, so let's think about what he says. Luke, Luke does something, okay? So understand, this is not meant to say, here's all the stuff John said. That, that, we couldn't do that. Luke is trying to get you to see, here, here's three ways to look at what kind of preacher John the Baptist was. And so we have to think about it in those terms. Like Luke is trying to capture the essence of John the Baptist's preaching. And so let's take a look at it. First of all, he mentions it prophetically, okay, prophetically, in connection with these fulfillments of prophecy. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a bad baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that is, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. And so before I get into the words of the Isaiah the prophet, a couple words here I just want to point out real quick because we're having a baptism today, right? We've got the dunk tank up here, and we're having a baptism today, Okay. The word baptism is mentioned here. This is John's baptism. The Greek word for baptism, you guys didn't even know that you knew some Greek. The Greek word for baptism is, guess what? Baptism. <laughs> Baptismo, right? You didn't even know that. It's a Greek word that means um, submersion or immersion, right? Immersed in something. That's what the word baptism means. And the connection here 
It's a baptism. He's proclaiming or preaching. What's he preaching? A baptism, right, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the word repentance, we're going to come back to this. It's going to be really important. This is, this is Luke's summary statement, okay? Now, the connection isn't here, a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It's an immersion, right? And what is it? The baptism is repentance for the forgiveness of sins, okay? That's the structure that's there. Now, I'm going to come back to this in just a minute. It's going to play a role. I just don't want to get ahead of myself because that idea is going to come back again. But I want you to start thinking about what John is saying and doing. Now, baptism before John's time, this was a, he didn't invent the idea. In fact, Jews would regularly, if say, say if a, somebody that was not a Jew and they said we, they, they want to convert to Judaism, one of the things that they would do is they would baptize them and Okay, you're leaving that and you're coming into this. And it was for them, it was like you're washing clean. That's what it was. So John's doing something crazy here because John is not baptizing Greeks that want to be Jews. In fact, he's doing something that would have rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He's baptizing Jews. That would have been unheard of to them. Like, wait, wait, we don't need to be baptized because we're already God's people. So he's saying something, isn't he? He's saying something because that's not good enough. There's something else. And what is this baptism that he's doing? It's for, what is it? It's a baptism of repentance. And the word repentance is literally change your mind. Metanoia. And you hear that noia in there? Like paranoia has to do with the mind, right? Metanoia. And the word meta has to do with the idea of afterwards. So you were there, now you're this. You used to be there, now you're this. You changed your mind, changed on something. Okay, so hold on to those thoughts because those are going to be really important later. Let's get into the prophecies because that's what I'll focus on for just a minute. And uh, if anybody wants a copy of this slide later, I went through and um, put, so like the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that comes from Isaiah, um, this part here, Isaiah 57, and also these passages here. So I tried to capture where these quotes are coming from. So Luke gives a little conglomeration of some Old Testament prophecies that he's fulfilling. That very first one, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, comes from, uh, in fact, I'm sorry, all the gospel writers, when they refer to John, they talk about this. John is fulfilling this. Before the Messiah was to come, there would be this person crying in the wilderness. Now, the illustration here is preparing of the way the Lord make his path straight. Many times if a king, let's say a king was going to come into a city that had been conquered, right? One of the things he would do is he'd send a, a basically a, 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 somebody in advance of them and they would say, okay, the road heading into this city, I, I'm thinking about like some of the roads that head into Danville. It's like the, jo the weird jobs where you're like, why didn't they just put a straight road here? This is ridiculous. So can you imagine like they're thinking, okay, we're going to bring a procession in. The king is coming. We don't want him to have to go, um, oh, okay, oh, rough, right? I mean, think William Street, you know, jog over, it's bumpy, it's, and so if, if you were having a procession coming into something, they would say, hey, send a delegation ahead. You need, to, you need to repair that highway, make it straight. If there's bumps in the road, get rid of them. And Luke is saying that these things have to do with John. What John is doing, he's preparing the way. The king is coming. And he's preparing the way. And he's talking about not I mean, this, this is a drastic paving, isn't it? Think about how much of a paving is going on. John's coming in and he's saying, man, mountains, low, valleys, filled in. This is a big paving. John 
very much, prophetically, his role is to level it out. There's things that need to be knocked down. There's things that need to be filled in because the king is coming. Jesus himself continues that process. This is not going to be the only place, but Jesus himself is going to continue that process. And we see glimpses of it. Go back to that repentance idea again. That the Jews were in need of this. It, it, it wasn't satisfied just by being born in the right place or doing the right traditions. There was something else at stake. And everybody's going to see this Jesus when he comes in. And John's saying, get ready. He's coming. Get ready. He's coming. Now, let's take a look at the content. So this is what John's doing. Luke says, I want you to know this is what he's doing. His preaching is, is doing this. It's like a guy coming into a city beforehand because the king is coming. He's going to level it. Let's see what it, what, what, did that, what did that look like? What, what did his preaching actually look like? And Luke, I mean, there's probably all kinds of stories of different things that John had preached over the years, and he thought, I'm going to grab something that's just going to capture the essence of John the Baptist. What kind of preaching did he do, literally? Let's get a, a quote. I love doing that sometimes. If I'm trying to make a point, I, I get somebody famous that has more impact than I do, and I, I'll quote them. You know, it's almost like saying, see, I didn't say he said it. <laughs> you know, as if people are going to go, oh... Okay. <laughs> but very much so, it's important. Luke is going, I need to capture a, a quote from him. And this is something that he said. What kind of preaching did he do? How did he level mountains? How did he fill in valleys? How did he begin that process for King Jesus? And there it is again. Again, I feel like maybe I should start my sermons that way. I think when I break this down literally, what, what was John doing? I think I, there's, there's three little tidbits under this idea, this literal breakdown of what, and I think Luke is wanting us to capture what, these, what are these things are that he's talking about. The first one is this. I think that John very much is calling people out who you really are. Right? And what are they? Brood of vipers. This is who they are. He's calling out. This is who you really are. What are you really doing? And who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Which is, again, interesting. Like, okay, this person that's bringing the way for King Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And what does John the Baptist say? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The next thing he says, I think, starts to open that up a little bit further. Listen to what he says next. Luke captures another quote. Bear fruits in keeping with... It's all good. Wow. <laughs> Focus, people. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Okay, there's two things in here. Let me talk about that one first. Reality is just reality. You, you can't just say I'm repenting and not repent. You can't just say I have a change of mind and not have a change of mind. I think one of the signs of insanity 
that we would all agree upon is if, if you walked up to me one day and I was sitting there and you go, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Napoleon. Right. Does that make me Napoleon? No? What about this one? What if I said, I think you'll like this one. I used to do this one with my students. They'd say, I'm working really hard. And I'd go, well, that's interesting. Uh, you have all zeros for all your homework. I don't know what you mean by working hard. But I, I would tell them, I'd say, you know, if, if somebody walked up to you and they said, I, it, let's say they believed it. Let's say you hook them up to a lie detector. And it's reading. They believe what they're saying. And they go, I am a duck. A duck. Quack. I'm a duck. Quack. Right? I might go, well, you're acting like one. I don't know what that means. How do you act like a duck? But if somebody walked in and said, does that make them a duck? No. Now, it, it, I, ha I have to clarify this because in our world today, we have a problem because you have people that are saying, I can identify as whatever they want to identify as, and we have to accept it. And I'm sorry, but that is not true. You can't just decide, I'm this, and that makes you that. Okay? I just have to say that. I mean, we live in a world where that has to be said now. Okay? Reality is still Reality. And I think that is precisely what John is saying here. He's saying, you can't just say I've repented and not repent. Now I know, I know that you're probably going, Matt, I was, need, I was in desperate need of a calm, supportive sermon today. And you're like, repent. Right? Repent. Well, it is what it is. This is what John's message was about. Repent. Repent. And you can't just say that it's true. You must actually do it. You can't just say you're repenting and not actually repent. This is the whole point of what John is saying. You, you can't just say, and so he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So the summary of his message is you can't just come out and say I did it and not actually do it. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't show a change of mind. In fact, I would say that's one of the flip, flip sides. This is where faith plays into this. Faith and repentance are like, it's like one coin. Faith on one side, repentance on the other. And if you say you, ha you believe in God, but do not do what God says, you're a liar. I'm, that's a quote from 1 John. If you say that, but you don't do it, you're, you're lying. You can't just say, oh, I'm doing everything that God says to do, and then not do it. They, no, then you're not. You can't just say it and make it true. You can't just say, I believe in God, and then not do anything that God says. You don't really believe in God. Let's just be honest about it. I think that John is literally saying, let's get real. The other thing he addresses here is, the, for these Jews that are coming out, he's like, you, and you can't fall back on your history, no matter what kind of history it is, whether it's your personal history, like these people saying you repented, or your long-lasting history. Well, my dad was a Baptist, and I was a Baptist, and before him was a Baptist, and we're all Baptists going way back. I can trace my Baptist lineage back to... Then, who the flip cares is what he's saying. John's going, literally, he's going, so what? God could go, Stones, you're a Baptist now. Boom. Right? Stones, you're, you know, you're a child of Abraham. For them, that was their, their thing that they latched onto. I'm a child of Abraham. And John's like, 
You know, I can just imagine, this is how I picture John, but I imagine people coming out and, and hearing him talk about all his repentance and them going, but I'm a child of Abraham. And I just imagine, this is, this is how I picture I know this isn't the truth. I just picture it this way in my head. I picture them going, but we're children of Abraham. And, and before John says this part, he probably went. <laughs> That's what I think about that. I can make children of Abraham all these stones on the ground. Stop playing a game. It is what it is. Repentance is repentance. Bear the fruits. Show. What, if you change your mind, it should, you should be able to look at it and go, that person changed their mind. If you change your mind about something, don't, I mean, if it's something that you're doing and somebody goes, hey, you know, I think I should really do this. And they go, I, I've changed my mind. And they keep doing it and go, I don't think you've really changed your mind. That's what John is hitting on. And like a bulldozer, he's plowing down mountains. So all the people that were like, well, I, a long time ago, when I was a kid, I, you know, um, I felt really bad about how sinful I was, and I prayed this prayer, and I meant it, and I cried. Right? John's like, <clears throat> Well, I, I was, uh, my, I grew up in church. <clears throat> Fill that. And John's just blowing the field out of the way. And Jesus is coming, and there's a salvation that's in him, and John's going, it's not in this stuff. It's not in this stuff. You can't repent without repenting, right? You can't repent without actually repenting. You can't have a change of mind without actually changing your mind. How much time do we have? How much time do we have? What does John say next? Something I think that many a good preacher ought to say near the end of their sermon. In some way, shape, or form, even now, right now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Even now. Some of you, it's quite possible, and not to just pull off of what happened last week, but you don't know your end. For many of you, the axe could be laid at the root of the trees. And you've been thinking, I know I need to repent, and I, I really love what God's, but I just, I don't, but, you know, and and, I, and, and maybe you've been clinging to your, your heritage or your history, your own personal history or your family history or something to, to, to lay hold of your salvation, that you're one of God's children. And I'm telling you right now, you don't know your end. And for many of you, it could, I mean, it could happen today. We could be meeting up here next week and say, that person's not here because they were on their way home and this happened or that happened. You could have a, what, well, you know, I think about my dad. Like, I mean, you could have something going on. You don't even know what's happening. And so Luke is capturing, this is what John the Baptist's message was like. This is who you are. This is what you need to do. And it's soon. Stop piddling around. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. There's a sense of urgency. Now, 
Luke then next, the next part that Luke does, so he's kind of laid this out. This is where where it's coming from in the big picture, right? In the the context of the world, but in the big picture of like this fulfilling prophecy because Jesus is bringing a salvation and Luke is going, let's get rid of all the junk versions right now. Because Jesus is coming in. You don't don't want to miss his salvation, his great, great salvation. So Luke's coming in. We then get this reality of how clear he is with this message and the way he preaches. And then we get to this point where this sense of urgency. But then Luke, what Luke does next, he gives us three examples next of how people responded to that. Specifically. Now these three examples are not meant to say these are all, all the ways it happened. In fact... All through the rest of Jesus' ministry, Jesus hits on a whole bunch of other things. But these are three examples that John mentions. The first one is this, or that Luke mentions from John. The first one is this, so the content, practically, getting down to the nitty-gritty. And this just accentuates the fact that this is not um, some feathery feeling of like, I really, no, repentance, you can't repent without repenting. First example is this. I mean, they, they, in other words, Luke is saying they got what he was saying. They got what he was saying. And there were people that heard John's preaching and said, I thought I was repenting, but I'm clearly not. Now that you, I mean, I, what do we do? And I love that John gives specific examples. Once again, these are not meant to capture all the possibilities of what John said. This is just the point of these next three examples to say that John took it from theory to practice. The first one, the crowds, the crowds, the mass of people are like, well, what do we do? The the poverty-stricken crowds that were coming, many of them, what do we do? And what's he say? If you have two tunics... Right? And you see this person doesn't have one? Just share it. That's simple enough, isn't it? If you got food, this person doesn't, what should you do? Share it. There's a, in this first one, we have just a broad sense of there's a repentance goes beyond just stop doing but it's a there's a start doing element the next one I, I wish I had more time to really dig into these but I, I want to I'm going to go through these three here because I want you to get the bigger idea I think Luke wants us to get the bigger idea that whatever your situation is you ought to be thinking what then I think that that's what you ought to be saying well the, what then should we do right what, what then should I do the next example gives, the, then he goes to two specific ones. Extensions, I think, of the, the societal government that's going on in his time period. The first one is tax collectors. I think this is mentioned for a couple of reasons. One is because the tax collectors were, to the Jews, just seemed as like the worst of the worst. And I think it's mentioned, I think it's mentioned partially to say even for them, like John wasn't going, no, no hope for you, buddy. See ya. <laughs> Even these people were coming to John and going, well, well what do we do? And John didn't go, mm, you've been too bad. What's he say? Because teacher, what, sh- what should we do? He says to them, 
Again, I, I love all three of these. They're just pure, simple logic. And I, I have to say that most of the things, um, my wife and I have talked about this a lot of times when people come for, for counseling, a lot of times they'll say, I just don't know what God wants me to do. What, what do I do? And I, I'm telling you what, I, very seldom have I ever had a situation where I'm like, I don't know. 99.999% of the time I'm like, well, the Bible tells you to do this. And you know what the real problem I find out is real quick? It's not that they don't know what God wants them to do. They just don't want to do it. And that's, that is the problem. And this, this is what I can imagine these tax collectors. And it's so much easier, isn't it? It's so much easier to maybe be like, I mean, I always imagine the tax collectors go, I wish you would have just said, just go to church more. You know, just, just uh, pray some more. Uh, read your Bible some more. Those are all great things. But John goes, hey, there, there's something that's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. You're taking more than you're supposed to. Stop it. Just stop doing that. You, you have a certain amount you're supposed to get. You know it. I know it. Nobody's talking about it. Stop doing that. Can you imagine them doing a lot of, like, but what, what, but I, but what about, no, just stop doing that. The next example is very similar, I think, in the sense, and there's a lot of other things we could dig into this, but I, I, I want to try to get the, the gist of what John, or what Luke is trying to do with these examples. Soldiers ask him, we, what, what, what are we going to do? What, what should we do to, to bear the fruits of repentance, to, 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 to really repent when we just, instead of just saying we're repenting, what, what do we need to do? What does that look like? John says, don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. You know you're doing it. We know you're doing it. Stop doing it. Do the right thing. Pure and simple. Um, I've shared with you guys before, I, I have a motto. Have I, I know we got a lot of new people here, so a lot of you don't know the motto. Um, I'll give you a little backstory to when I was coming up with my motto. Um, you guys know I bet I was a math teacher for 19 years, and so um, there's a mathematician. I know, okay, I'm geeking out on you here, but there's a mathematician I always thought was really, I like this mathematician. He was a cool mathematician. You guys are like, okay, <laughs> we don't know if we can listen to you anymore. No. Um, his name was Carl Friedrich Gauss. I, I, this, this guy was, there's so many things about him that I, I just, his life story, I read his life story, and just interesting individual. But he had a motto. Okay, and his motto, you're gonna, I'm gonna tell you what his motto was, and you're gonna be like, I don't get it. Um, he, he would work on mathematical proofs, is one of the things that he did, and, and his, his motto was few but ripe, like I'm not gonna make a whole bunch of these, but the ones I do, they're gonna be, I've gotta thought every little element out. And I thought, well, that'd be kinda cool to have a motto, my own motto. I, I'm serious, I know that I'm, I, you may go like, you're a dork, I, I know. <laughs> But I, I can remember thinking, I was in my uh, late 20s, early 30s, I'm like, I want my own motto. I want a motto that I can be like, this is my motto. And I was, I, I spent, actually, I spent a few months thinking about, what, what's it like a statement that can capture what I, what I personally believe is really important, like, like something I can, I can go back to. And, and so I, it, came, it, came, it came to me one day, I'm like, that's it, that's what I, and it was, it was something that I found myself a lot of times working with students, but then in my own life, like, and my motto has been, do what you know. 
there are things that you don't know. And there's things that you do know. And when I say no, I mean, you know those things. And there's a lot of moral issues and there's things that God would have you to do that it's very clear that you know. And so often, people get hung up on the things they're not for sure about. And they just kind of float around in that, you know, limbo of like, I just don't know what I, what do you know? Well, I know I shouldn't punch people in the face. Let's start there. You know? You know, you shouldn't be walking down the street punching random people. That would be a good, that's a great, you know, that's true. Okay, let's not do that anymore. Okay, okay, got it. Um, I know not to lie. Okay, excellent, excellent. Don't lie to people. Oh, I was doing that all the time. You should stop. Right? Start with what you, I mean, there's things that you could sit down right now and say, there's a lot of things I don't know about God, but here's some things that I know about God. But more importantly, for this example, here's some things I know that God would have me to be doing on a day-to-day basis. Start right there. And there's the things you go, I shouldn't be doing those things. Stop doing those things. Stop living that way. Stop doing those things. And every time you start to do them again, go, my need is repentance. I should change my mind because I was actually thinking that I still needed to do this and I don't need to do this. I need to do what God wants me to do. I ought to repent. Change my mind. Let's start right there. Now, um, we're, we're about done here and I want to wrap this up um, I have one more thing I, I want to talk about. There's an aspect of John's message that strikes home to me personally that I think, you know, I can remember, and my mom is not in here, but I can remember back when I first started talking about wanting to be a preacher of the word. And my mom pointed me to this passage in Jeremiah. There was part of it she pointed me to initially. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1, I don't have it up here. I think I might have the reference. Oh, I have that verse. I'll get to that one in a second. In Jeremiah chapter 1, if you start with verse 4, and I'm just going to read this to you. I'm not going to focus on this part. But Jeremiah 1, 4, this prophet Jeremiah, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying. So again, this idea of the word of the Lord coming. So just like John, how the word of the Lord came. Here's this Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me, saying. And God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And he says to God, Jeremiah, Oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. And that's one of the reasons why my mom pointed me to that, because I was young, and she's like, she said, hey, you're not the first one to go through this. Um, I don't know how to speak, I'm a youth. And God's response to him is, Do not say I'm only a youth. For to all... To whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So you go and say what I tell you to say. And this has been a driving thought behind my, in my mind of how to preach the word. What God says, I say. He said it. I, I'm just telling you what he said. But here I want to capture this, the verse 10. It says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And listen to what he says here, this interesting little thought. He says, See, I, I set you this day, and Jeremiah was going to be preaching to a lot of people. Not just big crowds, but there's going to be a lot of people who are part of his audience, nations, kingdoms. But listen to his message that God says, This is what you're going to, this is what you're going to be doing. So I said, 
you this day over nations and over kingdoms. And notice what he says. To do what? To pluck up, break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and plant. So there's how many things there? One, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, right? Of those six things that are listed, how many of them are a little destructive? Four. It's not until you get to the last two that something starts happening. I believe that we're in a, in a time, and maybe we've always been. In fact, I think that maybe in, in many ways this is true for each person, even possibly as every individual person. When the word of God comes to them, the message that they need to hear needs to start with, you need some stuff broken down. You need some stuff stuff destroyed. You got some pride. That needs to go. You got, you got, you got some pride that says, well, I don't have all my questions answered yet. Well, you're never, that's not going to happen, my friend. Maybe you got some things that you just want to hold on to. I'm like, I know. You, you know. You know in the back of your mind. If I decided this whole Christian thing, I get what you're saying, man. I'd have to stop doing that thing that I really want to keep doing. I just have to stop that part of my life. I, I know God says not to do that, but you know, I just you, you know that in the back of your head. Now you could find some churches in this town that would tell you you can keep doing whatever you want. No problem. And still be a child of God. Unfortunately, the Bible just doesn't teach that. And the question you have to ask is do I want to hear what the Bible says or do I want to hear what makes me feel better? I mean, what, what, if, what if we would have gone to the hospital and we would have got up there and my dad needs these stents put in. The doctor goes, um, I'm going to have to put a couple stents in. And, and dad, dad was like, ah, I don't like that. And the doctor, oh, oh, uh, well, you don't have to. <laughs> you know what? I'm sure you'll be just fine. Here's a cheeseburger. <laughs> my dad would have gone, all right. <laughs> it's true. You know it. Just pop a few more nitros if I feel bad again. And what the doctor said, oh, that's fine. You can pop as many as you need to. You don't have to come into the hospital. Just pop those pills. Keep those nitros a-flowing. That's terrible. That's not a good doctor. we got to get decided. What do I want to hear? Do I want to hear the truth? Do I want to know what I'm... What, you ought to have that response like these people did with John. What, what should we do? And if you really know what, what God says, what should we do? There's probably some stuff in your life that needs to be plucked up, and broken down, and destroyed, and overthrown. And that's probably where it needs to start. And maybe you've been feeling that. Maybe you've felt a little bit before, before you even came here today. God's been pointing some stuff out. And you're like, I should, I know that's wrong. Maybe it's just been a little nagging thing in the back of your head. I probably shouldn't. I know, I know. That might have worked with your grandpa. I know, grandpa. That isn't, that God's not a big grandpa in the sky. And so maybe that's been happening already. And there's some things that are getting, they're crumbling. The foundations of what you thought and you, you built up that, to think that you're just fine and you're okay. And it's like falling apart. And you're finally starting to realize, I'm, 
I'm pretty screwed up. I need a savior. But let's get real about it. If you really want a savior, this is what it's going to look like. You're going to have to stop doing some stuff. If you believe him, don't you trust him? He said, don't, don't live that way. He's going to say the saving part he takes care of. 